0: In this episode of the Brown Body Podcast, I'm joined by Dave Sherwin. Dave is a certified fitness nutrition coach and the founder of Daroby.com. His passion is helping adults navigate real world health challenges and achieve their best health and wellness at any age. He's also the creator and host of the Deroby Health Show, which covers everything to do with health and wellness, including the latest in nutrition, exercise, supplements, And clinical studies. We're going to talk a lot about Dave's journey through health and fitness in this episode, in addition to the top seven health habits that he recommends to his clients. Dave himself has used optimal nutrition, supplementation, and science to obtain a high level of fitness despite being middle-aged. At the age of 47, for example, he qualified for and completed a triathlon, Olympic distance triathlon in the national championships in Vermont, and he finished in the top 25% of all competitors. He also completed a Spartan Beast in four hours and has deadlifted over 400 pounds at the age of 52. He's also an avid golfer. For more on Dave, you can visit derobi.com You can also see that linked below in the description, and you can also use the coupon code Brawn 10 for 10% off your order from Derobi. Before we get into this episode, quick word from one of our sponsors. Dave, welcome to the show. Excited to have you on, man. I am super excited to be here. Thanks for the invite. So for those who haven't heard of you before, can you kind of give us a quick rundown about who you are and all the incredible things that you've been doing?
1: Yeah, uh actually my my journey I think started like in elementary school cuz I was like the shyest most backwards awkward awkward kid. I was I was skinny and uncoordinated and really low, like self-esteem. I hardly had any friends and, uh, um, I was like afraid to, to try stuff, you know, and, and, um, and, and one day in like sixth or seventh grade, some kids were trying to dunk like a, a small ball, like maybe a softball size ball on like the seven foot rim at elementary school, you know, and they're running up and trying to dunk this ball. And I was taller than uh, the other kids. I was like, Oh, can I try? You know, and I went and I dunked this ball and, uh, and I could do it and they couldn't do it. And like, for me at that time, it was like the first time I ever remember doing something like athletic or, or something with my body that other people couldn't do, you know? And it actually was the beginning of me starting to play basketball, which I took up and I actually made the high school team eventually and and got proficient. I never was an all-star, didn't play college basketball, nothing like that. But it was hugely transformative for me and going from a, a gawky, skinny kid uh, who was super shy and afraid of people, and sports gave me the confidence through. I was able to perform in front of a crowd, you know, and and I learned about lifting weights and I took a jump training class and I was able to increase my vertical jump and that was really cool. And then I could do like some cool dunks eventually on the real ten foot hoop, you know, and um, and and all of that. I think that the introduction to basketball. Uh, made a major difference in my life. And I've heard this from other parents, how how their kids, like they put them in football or something like that. And then their kid really grows and flourishes in that, that environment, having a coach, learning to exercise, right? And that was definitely my story. And then it introduced me to, you know, nutrition and everything to do with the world of health and fitness. And so it started way back then. And ever since then, I've always got a a high from exercise and working out and achieving goals and doing races and, and, and all those types of things have been an important part of my life.
0: I like how you kind of said it started really early on because most people, when they think about their health and fitness journey, they don't think about those early roots of things. They don't think about, wow, you know, what role did my elementary school sports, or my middle school, high school sports play in where I am now? They don't think about those early influences yet to your point, it's often those early influences that get us started. We actually did a whole podcast episode in the past. Uh, I believe it was episode four Fifty four, uh, roughly, with Eric Kaplan, where we actually discussed kind of how that high school gym, high school weight room mentality kind of gets so many people started in their health and fitness journey. And you're young at the time. There's more, I'll say, less emphasis on things like proper form and correct exercise, and more of just getting the foundation down, getting you to love exercising and health and fitness. So I really love that you bring that up. Now. Just kind of staying on that point for a quick second, you're someone who's coached so many people. How do you think we should be encouraging younger individuals to get involved more? We're living in a time where our obesity rate and childhood uh, chronic disease epidemic is increasing exponentially. We know exercise can help all those things. How should we be, what should we be doing to encourage more activity and involvement in our nation's youth? There's a problem with the way we think as human
1: beings, both in nutrition and in fitness. And it, it, it is this, it's that what I'm doing, it gets me excited is great for everybody. If I'm doing the keto diet, everyone should do the keto diet. Paleo is the best thing ever. Everyone should do paleo, right? Basketball, everyone should play basketball, right? So we, we tend to think that what's good for me is good for everybody else. As coaches, we have to be more scientific than that. We have to be, uh, have an understanding of the underlying roots, the underlying roots are fitness. There's elements to fitness, right? The, uh, you know, there's, there's strength, endurance, uh, cardio. uh, There's mobility, flexibility, balance, accuracy, force. All of these are different elements of strength. And some people are going to gravitate to one over another. Some people are built for the hundred meter and others are built for marathons. And those two, usually aren't the same type of of body and genetics, right? Right. And and so what happens is someone gets inspired oftentimes by a friend who's doing a thing and they want to do that thing. And it may be the exact wrong thing for them. They could maybe never be super good at it and really never enjoy it. If they're an endurance person and it's a sprint type of exercise, they might never be happy with that. So being able to be self-aware and just sit back and look at all the vast world of health and fitness, and think what would really float my boat? What would I be excited at? What do I really want to do? And then we got to put our ego on the shelf because sometimes the thing we could really, really be good at is maybe something that we think our friends wouldn't think is cool. We got to be able to say, screw that. I don't care, right? You know, one of the things I love, uh, I, I love when I'm in a big city and you go to a city park where there's a variety of elderly people doing whether yoga or Tai Chi or some strange kind of mobility exercise, right, that a lot of people might be embarrassed to do in public, mm-hmm. right? And right. they don't care. <laughs> they're just doing their thing and they're, they're being fit and they're outside and they're loving it and they don't care who's watching, right? We all need a little bit of that. We all need to be able to, and I'm not saying we have to go out and be, be do our thing in public, my wife, for example, she's very fit. And the way she stays fit is she watches the pop sugar channel on YouTube in our living room, right in our living room, our living room kitchen kind of connect and there's a wood floor. Okay, Mm -hmm. so she just pushes a couple chairs aside, turns on pop sugar does a 30 minute cardio exercise with a combination of dance or kickboxing or yoga or whatever, just whatever she feels like. And no one can see that what she's doing, but she just does it. She loves it. She stays in great shape. So whether it's in front of a TV, or out in a city park, or at the gym, it doesn't matter. But finding what really works for you. And, and so there,
0: there's, you know, taking that time to figure that out, is, is just well worth it. And along with that, it doesn't have to be individual, it doesn't have to be in a huge group you might find that you gravitate towards like a class-based setting best. You might find that you like working out best. You might find that the gym is best. Like you said, it could be outside. It could be at your personal home, uh, wherever you kind of feel your fitness coming to life. Uh, So I like that you bring that up because there is no one size fits all approach to this. You're someone who's really had to kind of adapt your training. I can imagine just from the wide variety of things that you do. From your history as a triathlete to running Spartan races and obstacle course races to hitting your personal record in the deadlift at age 52. Most people, you know, they'll say, oh yeah, you know, I hit my PR in high school or in college and here you are. And you're like, you know what? I'm not done yet. I'm just going to keep climbing. (laughs) So how did you kind of individualize your own training and balance different demands like endurance and obstacle course racing with strength?
1: Yeah. So for me, it's been about phases. Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, my first phase, I already told you, that was basketball. Now that lasted yep. a long time. So uh, it, when I was playing basketball, we were also introduced to weight training. And after I got married, I, I, I got into a very simple routine of playing basketball three times a week. We have a local gym where guys play basketball every day, six days a week. And at 6 a.m., I could go play a great game of picket ball for an hour. And I'd do that Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Then Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, I'd go to the gym and lift weights. And my buddy Trent and I did this for years. For years, we played basketball three times a week. We lifted weights three times a week. And then I had a simple nutrition plan. And during that time, we I read the book Body for Life by Bill Phillips, you know, and, and that was a transformative book of the 90s. It, it may be the best-selling fitness book of all time. I mean, it's way up there. If it's not the best-selling, it's close. And that book really uh, helped a lot. So we, we followed that. We even did the body transformation during that time. But- that kept me going all the way till I was 40. And as I was, as I was approaching 40, I could no longer jump as high. And, and honestly, I was kind of sick of always having something hurt, a little bit of a twist in the ankle, a stubbed finger or, or, or thumb or a torn shoulder. Right, Like playing basketball is a little bit brutal. And as I got older, uh, I started realizing, man, I gotta I got to find something new. Well, a, a friend of mine had done a triathlon. Which made me want to throw up. I was like, "Man, that looks <laughs> terrible. Who would want to go out and run a long way and bike and swim? That looks awful. Like, I didn't appeal to me at all. It's so different from basketball." And I also was thinking like triathlons were all like Iron Man, you know? Right. And my friend said, "No, no, no. I did this little triathlon. It was cool. We just swam half a mile. Uh, we 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 bike 12 miles and did a 5K. It's called a sprint distance triathlon." I was like, "Oh, well, when I'm done basketball." That sounds pretty cool. I mean, if I was running, biking, swimming, those three things are really good, balanced exercises, very natural. Um, no more stub toes, twisted ankles. I should be able <laughs> to uh, uh, transition from basketball. So I, I did that. I was a terrible swimmer, didn't know how to swim. Um, I wasn't a great cyclist, but I just dove right in. I, I literally, on my 40th birthday, stopped playing basketball. And, and entered a new phase of my life, triathlon, got a bike, started training. I got a coach. Uh, I was terrible. I finished last my first race.
0: It was bad. That's okay, I, though. I used to say that my favorite person was the one who finished last because I kind of like you hate running. Uh, so I always tip my hat to the one who's out there running the longest out of anyone. Well, And for me, it was swimming. So
1: I I actually wasn't too bad when I, when I, and I, when I say finished, I didn't finish dead last, but but in my age group, I definitely did. I mean, there were some older people who came in behind me, but in my age group, I was terrible, but I had a phobia. I didn't even know it. I had an open water swimming problem. Like it was in my head. I, I, I actually didn't know what a panic attack was, uh, but I had panic. Now looking back, I had panic attacks in the water. My first race, I, it was a triangle, you know, you swim out to a buoy and then there's another buoy and then back to the beach. Mm-hmm. And by the time I got to the first buoy, I was so hyperventilated and scared. I had to hang onto the buoy for a while and wait. Yeah. And, and, um, and I, and I, I finally ca- calmed down enough, cut my breath and made it to the next buoy. And then, you know, I literally was having a panic attack. I'm sure I ended up doing like a side crawl. Cause I couldn't even do a normal swim stroke Right. It was embarrassing. And I got out of the water finally and uh, got on the bike. And there, But over time and with experience, I was able to come overcome whatever this fear. And it's bizarre because I grew up near a lake and never had a problem in open water. But I don't know, years out of the water, for whatever reason, I couldn't swim in open water. So over time, overcame that. And actually, I started to get pretty good. Um, my third year, um, I, I'd become a proficient swimmer, runner and biker. And I set a goal to get a medal, you know, to be in the top three in my, my age group. And I did that on uh, about my third or fourth race. And then uh, about five years in, I thought, I want to make it to nationals. To make it to nationals, you got a podium, not only in your age group, but only in a qualifying race where all the best people uh, race. Um, and I was able to do that. Uh, and then I flew out to uh, Burlington, Vermont, did the you know the, the, where they did the national championships that year, and and it was fantastic. And and through years of training and hard work, uh, when I did the national championships in the Olympic distance triathlon, I finished in the top twenty five percent at age forty eight, and that was super gratifying. I got to tell you, when you're forty eight years old, and and half the field is half your age, and they're behind you. That's awesome. <laughs> but it was very slow. It, it, this is an from age 40. It took me from age 40 to
0: 48 to be able to get good enough to do that. Right. A lot of work. So eight years in the making. And yeah. that brings up another great point. So actually, I'll highlight two points that you made in there. People start in their exercise and fitness and just overall health and wellness journey, and they expect immediate results, right? We live in a world of instant gratification. Yeah, yeah. You post something on social media and you get likes, you get messages and comments within seconds, and you're always connected. You know, there's no more like be right back or BRB kind of text. Everyone is always on each other's uh, fingertips or accessible via their fingertips. So exercise is one of the few things that we just cannot make instantly gratifiable. We have to wait for those results. And you also pointed out kind of what you said, the panic or fear that you had with swimming with no real explainable cause. And that's something that so many people get with exercise. Maybe it's just the fear of being seen in a gym working out while Mm -hmm. other people walk right by them doing, you know, the exact same stuff and don't think twice about it. So we set up these mental barriers and roadblocks in our head sometimes that don't necessarily make sense. But that obstacle that we put in our path, we can move away. And that obstacle kind of becomes our path forward. Like you said, you had that fear of swimming and now you're really good at swimming. So it's amazing to me how just those two little pieces of what you shared apply to everyone in the health and fitness space, anyone who's starting their journey.
1: Yeah, I believe there's some problems in our human software right? In our brain, there are some things as human beings that are kind of messed up. I'm really fascinated with social science. And one of the things I, and I wish I could give credit to whoever said this, cause I, I don't remember, but one of the social scientists, I was reading his book and it said, human beings totally overestimate what they can do in 90 days and underestimate what they can do in five years. And I have found that quote to be true. So person hits the gym and they're thinking a month two months, 90 days. Where can they get? They're not thinking five years. And if we could all just shift our thinking to five years instead of 90 days, uh, we can hit big goals in five years, but we can't hit big goals in 90 days. And for some reason, looking forward, 90 days feels like a long time. Oh, it's going to take 90 days. But if you think back 90 days ago, okay, that was summer. Okay. From when we're recording this, Summer, middle of the summer was 90 days ago. Now, if you would have started a program that you'd be feeling results from now 90 days ago, would you be glad you started that? And the answer, is, of course, is yes. But
0: right. for some
1: reason, looking back, it seems like it was just a flicker of time. But looking forward, it seems like, oh, that's going to take too long, right? So we have to kind of just figure this stuff out for ourselves and try to think longer term and be the, the tortoise, not the hare.
0: Right. I like that analogy. I did check real quick. That quote is from Matthew Kelly. He's a motivational speaker and he's posted a whole variety of different books there nice. over the course of the years. Um, he's one of my, I have a couple of his books. Um, I can link some of them in the description below, but yeah, most people overestimate what they can do in a day and underestimate what they can do in a month. And then he had a same one for the 90 days and five yeah. years, like you said, So one of the things that comes to mind for me when I hear that is just looking at you again, you're 53 now, is it 55, 55, and you continue to climb as far as your physical performance and overall health and wellness. It's almost like you're aging backwards. You may, you said it yourself, (laughs) you, uh, you had some past injuries and things just didn't feel quite right. And they're gone it's like you're kind of turning the uh, clock backwards. So how is... I'm trying to. (laughs) (laughs) I I guess I'll ask, how is 50 the new 30? How is it that someone in their 50s can look and feel and function as good as someone half their age? I think there's a few concepts to
1: that. First of all, it's just belief. You have to believe that you can always improve, right? You can improve in some way. Like, for example... I totally accept that. I'll probably never dunk a basketball again. I don't care, right? So I can accept that, but at the same time, when I was 25, I couldn't deadlift 405, right? And so there's, so I think that our society has started to accept that it's okay to be overweight and just shy of your first heart attack by the time you're 40 or 50. And that's a belief people just accepted, right? They stop taking care of themselves. Some people believe that health is for young people, fitness and nutrition, all that stuff you care about when you're young, and then you just kind of let it go. I I just don't believe that. So number one is, you know, do a checkup from the neck up. What is your belief and expectation? My buddy, Gary, we golf a lot together. Now we did a lot of triathlons back in the day. Now we're golf buddies. He still does triathlon. I've moved on to other things. When he was 65 years old, he won a local triathlon. Mm Mm-hmm. Not his age group. He won the whole race. <laughs> okay, sixty-five, 65.
0: years old. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's yeah. impressive. Olympic,
1: Olympic distance triathlon. We're talking swim a mile, bike twenty-four miles, run a ten k. Okay. Yep. And there's three hundred people. Okay, it's not a huge race, but three hundred people is enough to test. You know, it's a decent test. Now, why did he do that? Because number one, he's consistent. As you get older, you can't take long breaks. Okay. You can take long breaks when you're younger, get back in shape, lickety split. No problem. Right. When you're older consistency is absolutely key because your body doesn't recover or or gain like it used to. And when you lose something, it's hard to get it back. And if you get injured, it takes longer to recover. Those are just facts that we can't overcome. Right. I can't overcome that. I don't heal the way I did when I was 25. That was 30 years ago. So I train differently and I train carefully. I train. uh, so that to not get injured, I'm really big into mobility and flexibility and I do a lot of functional training. And so I'm doing less heavy weight training now than I used to do. Mm -hmm. And a lot more body weight stuff. I use a lot of kettlebells now in my training versus heavyweight. Right. And so, so I also do, um, more, uh, like I said, mobility. So in a typical week, back when I used to do the Bill Phillips thing, I was doing three fairly hard weight training workouts per week. And three times playing basketball, got me cardio and strength. Those were the, the big areas that I was getting from that. But today I only do one heavy workout per week. I do about three that are medium intensity, but long about an hour. And then I do two or three, you know, these are not, there's not exact, but just one heavy. And the rest is divided between moderate intensity and low intensity, high mobility. Right. And, and, and so that, that, that adjustment, getting rid of some of the heavy stuff as I get older, but focusing more on the mobility has been important. Plus I've been super surprised and happy with how much I'm able to maintain my strength, even though I've eliminated a lot of, of heavy weight training. I'll give you an example. This morning's workout was all with kettlebells and I did kettlebell um, lunges with a 50 pound kettlebell in the opposite hand where I'm lunging, Mm -hmm. right. You can come up, switch hands, go back down. So you're getting some core, you're getting some balance in there. And I did several sets of, of that. And then I did goblet squats Yep. and I did, uh, uh, um, jumping air weight only, no, no kettlebells just into a full deep squat, butt hits the ankles jump, uh, for, you know, plyometric type of, uh, of exercise and then some mobility and stretching. So the maximum weight I ever used was 50 pounds. But I'm telling you, after an hour, my legs were thoroughly
0: worked. I can imagine. I, yeah. Yeah. So I like how you point out the focus on mobility because as we age, people start to get things like joint deterioration. They get abnormal bone growth in their joints. I'm, I've personally, um, I'm finishing my doctorate in physical therapy and in clinical rotations, I've seen a lot of people who are getting joint replacements at 50. 52, 48, and it just kind of baffles me because those joint replacements, they don't last 30, 40 years. They last 10, maybe 12 if you're lucky. So we're setting people up, society and our lifestyle is setting people up for three, potentially four joint replacements by the end of their life. Is that really the life we wanna live when we can take just a few minutes a day and focus on some active mobility to reduce our risk of developing those abnormal joint changes. And I like how you point out too that strength does not have to be lifting heavy, you know, full out, full throttle every single day. You mentioned that you love kettlebell training. One of my favorite go-tos for kettlebell work is the Russian kettlebell certification through um, Dragon Door. That's heavily influenced by Pavel, uh, the guy who brought uh, kettlebells to america from yeah. russia and there's different standards out there uh you can kind of look them up online here but i'll just pick um uh, my... yeah, i know i know a site it's called built uh what's that site called again um it's a it, great site yeah it's like the russian kettlebell challenge certification uh, i think it's on dragon door uh but for someone like me so I'm 180 pounds. So with my weight class, their kind of final exam for the course would be taking a 24 pound kettlebell and doing 100 kettlebell swings in five minutes. So 20 a minute, so 50 on the right hand, 50 on the left hand. And that's a test that very few people in their 20s and 30s are going to be able to pass. Even if you can squat three, 400 pounds, it's difficult because we're combining. I'm going to try that now. Yeah, we're combining strength with plyometric, you know, yeah. explosiveness and endurance. We're yeah. it's a high repetitive functional exercise that you do for 5 minutes. You work every muscle in your body doing a kettlebell clean because you're lifting a weight from the floor to your shoulder. So, yeah. doing it for a time like that really taxes people. It's a lot more challenging than people think. And I like how you've kind of kept that focus in your own training, mobility, function. Workouts that actually make sense instead of just, hey, uh, just go do that. You know, go jump on that machine, load it up as heavy as you can, do three sets of 10 and call it a day. Um, I think that in general, the fitness industry is great at providing advice, but we run into some problems with certain people giving the wrong kind of advice. And I'm sure, you know, I can definitely say I've been a victim of the wrong advice before. And I'm sure you can say the same yourself.
1: Yeah, and speaking of which, some of the best advice I ever got when I was having some hip and ankle problems on my left side, um, after years of of running, uh, and with bad form, I didn't know it at the time, but I did a lot of running with poor form. And and, and it even I didn't know what I didn't know, you know, when I started triathlon, I just went and started running and started started swimming and started cycling, right. And we think we know those things, because we've been doing them since we were kids. Uh, But when I started to get injured, my, uh, my coach, um, at the time recommended Kelly Sturette's book, Becoming a Supple Leopard. Are you familiar with Kelly Sturette? Yeah, The
0: Ready State. Great book, great guy.
1: Yeah, so Becoming a Supple Leopard became my go-to and, and that was huge for me. I'm so glad I read that book when I did. I was able to overcome some injuries um, that I that I had. I was able to get my joints a lot stronger. It literally changed how I walked up and down stairs. I kid you not. Like I, I became mindful of actually how my knees worked going upstairs. I'd never paid attention to anything like that before in my life, but there was little tips in that book, uh, that got me straightened out. Uh, like for example, that workout I mentioned this morning, Yep. you do that same workout with bad form and, uh, and it, and it sucks. I mean, you, you can cause a lot of problems. And so when you're doing functional movements and you're doing a lot of, um, uh, a balancing movements where the weight is on one side. Like for, for example, another great movement, you talked about that, that workout, um, a minute, a minute ago, one similar, if I've only got 10 minutes to exercise, I can get an incredible workout with one medium-sized kettlebell doing one handed thrusters. Yep. Right. If all you do is put that weight on your shoulder, go down a deep squat and come up and thrust it. Right and then do like 10 on your right hand, 10 on your left hand, 10 on your right, 10. On your... You can't do that for very long, but I'm telling you maybe in, in like probably in five minutes, you can be absolutely worked. Yeah. Like pretty much every muscle in your body. Right. Um, but again, you got to do that with good form. Your knees can't be, uh, faulting in, right? right. Your, your ankles should be twisted into the floor properly. Your spine needs to be straight, not curved. Your that movement in your shoulder and the flexibility in your wrist, all of these things come into play, even with that very, very simple movement. And, and when you watch most people move in a gym, especially in a squat, any type of a squat, uh, they usually have really bad form. They're usually often leaning forward. Their back is curved either, you know, out or in, um, and, and not, not straight. Um, their knees are often like wobbling or inside too much. Their feet aren't in the right, on the right angle, right? So there's all these little details that go into it. And and for people uh, listening, you know, if you haven't had a coach watch you move for a while in, in whatever exercise you're doing, eh, it's so worthwhile. Even if it's just a buddy, um, your workout partner, just say, hey, watch me move uh, and, and and tell me what it looks like. Um, oftentimes what feels right, isn't right so there's just nothing like some expert watching how you do things or having a mirror and knowing what good form looks like and doing everything with good form so yeah really great point and we're spending time on as you age this gets more and more important because we're what we're trying to do is avoid the wheelchair at 80 right right that's the point when i'm 100 i want to be golfing with my great grandkids
0: yeah ideally right right? yeah Yeah. (laughs) yeah that um this is making me think back to one of the recent episodes we did with Dr. Justin Merswicki. So he's actually done some research on older individuals and I mean, seventies and eighties, and he's loading these people up. He put grandma in there doing 80% their one rep max on leg press, leg extension, all these different machine exercises. Uh, they did body weight, uh, weighted vest training. So they added a uh, weighted vest that's equivalent to of the person's body weight and they saw huge performance gains in people in their seventies and eighties, you know, you're never too old to exercise and get fit and get in shape. I love how you sweat the small stuff too. I can't emphasize enough the importance of proper movement patterns Uh, in the physical therapy world. We call it job security, but in the training world, we call it liabilities. We don't want people going in the gym and getting hurt. That's not why they're there. They're here to prevent injury. So literally starting from the ground up, start with your foot position. I've seen people in the past and coached people who they'll kind of have a little bit of an arch, but once they start pressing weight down and lifting, their foot arch collapses. So they lose that ability to stabilize and spread force through their foot as they normally would. So what do you do then? How about with the ankle? A lot of people, especially with the squat, lack dorsiflexion. So they can't push their knee over their toes. And if you don't have that motion, like you mentioned, that knee is just going to cave right in. That's the exact mechanism of injury for an ACL tear. Again, things we don't want to see in our people, in our uh, clients. So we really need to sweat those small details. And this, to your point again, emphasizes the importance of getting a coach who actually knows what they're doing knows what they're talking about and has experience because some some coaches out there and this is true for any profession right there's good and there's bad there's some that just don't know enough yet to be able to pick out those small details and again it's no fault of their own sometimes it's you know they're just starting their career early on that sort of thing so I love that you brought that up now, with sweat and the small stuff, you said there's seven main health habits that you kind of use to kind of compass and direct your life. And those are pretty simple, basic. Anyone can do them from what I understand. What are those seven health habits that you kind of use to guide your health and fitness journey?
1: Number one is hydration and uh, not only drinking half your body weight in ounces every day, but eliminating uh, unhealthy drinks. Many people are overweight simply because they're addicted to soda or something unhealthy. Even juice, health juice, uh, I, I'm sorry, fruit juice that a lot of people think is healthy, uh, really is just highly acidic and highly processed and has you know um, uh, chemicals in it. So ideally we need to be making sure we drink enough water. And this is one of those things that most people know, but a whole lot of people don't do. Yep. We tend to walk around in a state of chronic dehydration. So, you know, I got I got my bottle uh, right here, and um, I, I keep it with me. This is a forty ounce bottle. Um, mm-hmm. I weigh one hundred and ninety pounds, and so I need ninety five ounces of water per day. So I fill that two times plus, you know, three times if I finish that, I'm good. Now that's outside of exercise. When you're exercising, you get thirsty and you want to drink, uh, and, and so. It's easy to drink when we're exercising and it's natural. The problem is after that, it's super easy to go four or five hours without our next drink of water. And so this is an area that a lot of people know, but they don't do. Um, The next one is eating all our food slowly and mindfully. Interestingly, how we eat is more important than what we eat. Now, I did not believe that the first time I heard it. My health certification is through Precision Nutrition. Dr. John Berardi and and a bunch bunch of other PhD nutritionists put that program together. I think John Berardi is the best nutritionist on the planet, in my opinion. It's why I took Precision Nutrition when I wanted my health certification. And when they taught us that how we eat was more important than what we eat, I just thought, that doesn't make sense. Right? How How could that make sense? But the reason it makes sense is because... The digestive process starts in our mouth and we have to chew the food to about the consistency of applesauce. And especially for starches and carbs, the enzymes in our mouth get worked into those to begin the digestive process. Right. When we swallow the food, it doesn't go into like a hole with stomach acid. Our stomach is not a hole. It's a series of folds. And as the food works through those folds, which takes some time, More acids and enzymes are being worked into the food and there's bacteria in there. And we have a complex system in our gut biome that is digesting the food that takes time. In addition to that, we have hormones in our stomach that signal when we're hungry, as well as when we're full and they're not perfect. They're about 20 minutes behind. Mm -hmm. So if we cram down food, right, we might be full before those, those hormones trigger to our brain to stop eating. Okay. Yep. And so when we eat all of our food slowly and mindfully, we tend to eat about 20% less food and we tend to absorb all the nutrients out of the food that we eat. And so for all of you listening, if you're thinking that what you eat is the whole equation, but you're cramming down even healthy food, Mm -hmm. you are not
0: getting all the nutrition out of that healthy food. So eat slowly and mindfully. I love that point. Because, again, going back to how we are as a society, how many people are constantly, you know, in a rush, you know, maybe they eat in the car on their way from point A to point B, or, you know, they have a 10-minute lunch break at work and they just got to shovel something down real quick. The physiology on the speed of what you eat is deep and complex, but you hit it perfectly. And the next piece to that is just insulin. Everyone's heard about it because diabetes is pretty rampant in our society right now. And when we eat food, insulin acts as a storage hormone to shuttle it into our body in different places. So we store it as fat or whatever. Insulin also does this thing. I call it the serotonin shift. Serotonin is a neurotransmitter. About 90% is produced in our gut lining. So serotonin is actually shuttled into our brain by insulin. So when we secrete insulin, serotonin goes into our brain. Serotonin is actually the precursor for melatonin. So we see so, so many people in modern society that walk around and you know, they eat their breakfast, they eat their lunch. And an hour later they get this crash, they're tired, they're fatigued and they don't know why. And yet they just triggered the exact mechanism mechanism we need in our body to produce a ton of melatonin, the sleep right. hormone. And right. how do we treat it? A big cup of coffee, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, uh, I am very passionate about that topic as well. And I'm glad you brought that up because again, it comes back to the details, right? We think we're eating the right foods, but we don't pay attention to the speed at which we eat them. So hydration, speed at which we're eating. What's your next tip? Intermittent fasting. I'm so glad you brought that up too. That's that literally changed my health uh, journey. I've been doing that for five years. How long have you been doing fasting? I don't know exactly. Probably about three. Okay. What's and your experience a, been?
1: I love it. I love it for myself. I love it even more for my clients uh, because many of my clients are their top goal is to lose weight. And if you want to lose weight and you slow down your eating and then you start intermittent fasting and you eliminate drinks with calories that right there could solve your, those, those three things may solve the entire problem. You see the, the biggest thing about intermittent fasting. Now, before I get into it, fasting is all the rage right now, right? But five years ago, it was a fad. When you started, you were an early adopter, but back then the research wasn't really in. And so there was some top nutritionists who were still on the fence about it. So it felt good to people. There's a lot of anecdotal evidence, but now, the evidence is overwhelming. It's not a fad. It's here to stay. It absolutely works. There's been tests on men, tests on women, tests on fit fit people, tests on people with disease and chronic conditions, tests on weight loss, everything you can think of. There's been a great study. And guess what? None of them come back negative. None. There's always positive improvements. Now, some people go overboard now. So now they're into 40-day water fasts and longer-term fasts. Now, I'm not saying don't do those things, but what I am saying is we don't want to go overboard. You know, this is the long game. Again, the five-year game, not the 90-day game, game, right? Right. And so if all a person does is adopt a 24-hour cycle of intermittent fasting where they're going to eat all their food in an eight-hour window for men or 10 hours for women, um, you got to understand that almost all the research that was done for the first four years was on men. We're just now learning about fasting for women and it's different. Okay. So, and it also depends totally on a woman, whether she's in childbearing years or menopause or past menopause, et cetera. So for women, you got to do a little more research and there's some great apps out now for women, uh, great apps for, for men and women, um, like life extend, which is the one that I use and recommend, uh, which is fantastic. and has a, phenom- a phenomenal medical team behind it. Regardless, let's just say that we can Rain in and not worry about longer-term fasts or getting too carried away with it. But in a 24-hour period of time, we're just going to eat within our eating window. Let's say it's eight hours for men, 10 hours for women. The number one thing that happens is that we have to stop eating after dinner. And I'm telling you, if that's the only thing that happens, for 90% of Americans, it will change their life because no one craves a salad at 9 o'clock at night. Nobody, right? What you crave eating after dinner is what? Ice cream, cake, cookies, Doritos, right? Party food. That's what we crave after dinner. And I think this is the part of fasting that a lot of people don't talk about, but I believe it's where you get most of the bang for the buck, right? I think there's diminishing returns when you get into longer-term fast. Now, I do some 24-hour fasts. And I like them and I feel really good when I do them, Uh, but I haven't done any longer fast. And I don't think I'm going to part of the reason why is because in my coaching, I want to keep everything sustainable and doable. As soon as I start talking about stuff that people don't want to do, I'm going to lose them. Mm -hmm. And, and frankly, I'm very happy with my level of fitness. You know, I'm 55 years old. I'm happy with my strength and my mobility and my flexibility and my endurance and all of those things right? And my blood work is good. And so I don't feel like I need to do anything extreme. So that simple act of waiting a little while to have breakfast, and then stopping eating after dinner
0: is absolutely magic. I couldn't agree more. There's a whole host of different other scientific, you know, physiological backings from increasing growth hormone to promoting autophagy, all that sort of thing. But at the end of the day, simply put, if you're controlling the quality and quantity of the calories you're putting in your body and giving your body a chance to reset itself and kind of heal from the stressors of the day, then it's probably going to lead to beneficial effects. It's kind of something that's kind of been ingrained into our genetic code, too. We think about, you know, ancestrally thinking 1,000, 2,000 years ago most of our ancestors didn't wake up and, you know, walk over to the Dunkin Donuts and pick up a breakfast sandwich and a coffee. They had to hunt, they had to forage, they had to go through, you know, great lengths to acquire food. So fasting was sort of built into us evolutionarily, we should be able to as a species go for a period of time without eating and still function pretty well. I'm glad you brought that up. There was one test that I think is
1: of interest for those of you that are skeptics or you just don't want to do it. Let me tell you about this test. I think it's fascinating. There's a, a pretty large sample. If I, I, I may not have the numbers exactly right but I believe there was over 200 people in the study which is a decent human clinical. And it was uh, men uh, in this in this test and they tested them for 60 days. And they were all men who needed to lose, they, they had a weight loss goal. And uh, um, they had one group do seven days a week strictly, and one group do five days a week strictly. Mm -hmm. And after 60 days, the weight loss goals that were achieved were exactly the same. And what they found was that five days was as good as seven. Now I'm not endorsing cheat days necessarily. And I often go seven, Mm -hmm. but for those of you that just can't imagine not going out on a Friday night with your buddies and having a beer and a pizza, right? understand you can probably do that and still get tremendous benefit. So it's not an all or nothing kind of a a recommendation here. Right. It can be that you can can do five days a week and, and be quite successful.
0: And that's the essence of health and fitness. It's not to fully restrict your life to the point where you can't enjoy it. It's to give you the freedom to enjoy your life without any of the stressors like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna wake up tomorrow in terrible health or something like that. Because health is your wealth. And once you lose it, that's the only thing you want, you know? So I'm glad you brought that up.
1: And my, my dog is, is begging. It's her dinner time. Let me just shut the door and then she'll be okay. Hang yeah, you're
0: good. You're good. So what's your fourth tip, Dave?
1: Okay, fourth tip. Now we get into food. And it is the the macros. The macros are fats, carbs, and protein. Mm-hmm. And what we teach is to get a healthy amount of fats, carbs, and proteins with every meal. And within that mix, five to nine servings of vegetables and fruits every single day. So I know there are people that are doing really well on keto. I get that. I get there's a whole low carb crowd. But the fact is carbs are important. Carbs are important for our hormones. I did a fat-free, I did a keto diet one year of my, my racing career. Mm-hmm. I actually bought Ben Greenfield's uh, low, f- low carb diet for triathletes. Yep. And I, I did that for six months and I felt pretty good, but I'll, I'm going to tell you something. After six months, I was burned out. I wasn't recovering as well. Uh, I wasn't sleeping as well. And I just introduced carbs back into my diet and immediately felt a lot better. So I, I have a feeling and I can't prove this. And of course, everyone's different, but I have a feeling that Many times when people go on a low low carb diet, the main reason they feel so better and become evangelists is because of they've cut out soda and sugar and, and ice cream and a lot of junk carbs. Okay. Right. When you're having healthy carbs, along with healthy proteins and fats, you're getting the full mix that our body is used to. You talked about our ancient ancestors, right? Um, and, And this is why the paleo diet is also so popular because it's going back to ancestral style of, of eating. But anyways, and I'm a precision nutrition coach and in precision nutrition, we teach balance because balance is sustainable. And so again, if you're on keto and you're loving it and it's working for you, wonderful. But if there comes a day that you're not sleeping very well and you're not recovering very well, it could well be that your hormones are whacked and you need to reintroduce a higher level of carbs, or for those of you listening that don't care, and I mean, you don't like have, you know, a a low fat or a low carb or a certain, you know, philosophy already, you can't go wrong by portioning your plate with a decent portion of protein, carbs, fats, and five to nine servings of vegetables
0: a day. That's a great blend. It's so rich in antioxidants. And even if you are following a ketogenic diet approach, you can still find a way to get vegetables in just because oh, your, you sure. know doesn't mean that, you know, you should avoid every single vegetable and live kind of like a carnivore. Uh, you can still take in things like organic celery or different lettuce blends, spinach blends, that sort of thing. So never really get away from the power of plants because they are kind of the bottom of the uh, food web, food pyramid, if you will. Um, I'm glad you brought up the importance of carbs and essentially the importance of natural carbohydrates, right? We don't want people going out and I don't know, crushing a pack of Oreos to get their iron intake in or something like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, and,
1: and you know what, I, I gotta tell you, this one is hard for me personally. Uh, and I'll tell you a couple of cheats that I do. So I, I'm the guy that when I go to a restaurant, I, I know I should eat the salad, but I want the fries. Yep. right? I'm just going to admit it. That's just where I'm at, right? Yep. But I'll, I'll tell you some things I've done uh, to get my five to nine servings of vegetables is I, I use powders for two to three of those servings. That has helped me a ton. Yeah. I'll give you an example. I have beetroot powder, which is just beets. It's an ingredients, beets, right? Beets are super good for you. All kinds of antioxidant value, phytochemicals, really healthy. I have psyllium husk powder. I have flaxseed powder. I have greens drinks. I like the orgain protein powder that's plant-based and has 50 plants built into it. You can find it at Costco. It's got great ingredients and it's not that expensive. And these powders for me, I had one this afternoon, like my snack this afternoon was I took the orgain protein plant-based powder, and I put some beetroot powder in and some psyllium husk and some flaxseed. And I shook that thing up and drank it. And it got me three servings of vegetables, (laughs) right? In a tasty drink, right? So that's one of the ways that I, I kind of cheat. You're missing out on some of the enzymes when you do that. I get that. And so another thing that I really do love uh, as well is, is um, roasted vegetables. Mm-hmm. You know, like last, last night I cut up and made two sheets, cookie sheets of chopped vegetables. I had a, a, a couple of onions, some sweet potatoes, um, some squash, and uh, I'm forgetting it. Oh, some carrots. Those four things. I put the, I chop it all up, put it in a bowl, mix it up, put some avocado oil, some salt and pepper, very simple, roast it. It's absolutely delicious. I love it. Yeah. Uh, and then, and then I put it in the fridge and I can just take a bowl full and, and warm that up and, and have a, a really tasty uh, serving of vegetables. So there's a couple of things I really enjoy that help me Hit that number of five to nine because it is a little hard. And like I said, um, I don't think I'm abnormal. I I, th- I think very few people crave salads. It's just <laughs> part of, <laughs> it's yeah. part of the difficulty of, of eating healthy is is what we we we've been conditioned in our modern society to crave burgers, yeah, and and ice cream and the stuff that's, that's bad for us. And I'm not against any of those things and in, in moderation. And I have some of those things, uh, but the fact is we got to. You know we, we want to shoot for about a 90% clean diet. Uh that's what I, I shoot. I call myself a 90%er. I'm not a hundred percenter. Uh but I but I try to be a 90%er.
0: No, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Balance after all, like we've said. So yeah. What's your fifth tip?
1: Fifth is uh observe a simple supplement strategy. Um uh many people you know I, I'm a biohacker. I do a I do blood work about every six months. I test what I might be deficient in, mm-hmm. and uh, I encourage everyone to do that test. Don't guess. But what you're going to find is even if you're a ninety percenter, you're going to be deficient in some things. And so when I say simple supplement strategy, what I mean is make sure you're working on the foundation. When we talk to people about their supplements, oftentimes they have these supplements that are level three or four on the pyramid of need. Mm-hmm. And they're deficient in vitamin D, which yeah, is a very the basic simple, thing. easy, easily obtainable, right? They don't have enough zinc, They don't have enough chromium, They don't have enough B vitamins, but they've got some super juice from a network marketing party they went to of some fancy berry that's grown on a, you know, magical mountain, right? And right. so, and so people have all these, there's all these supplements out there. But what I encourage people to do is, is have a simple su- supplement strategy based on what you're likely to be deficient in. We have two supplements um, that create the core of our line. Of right, from, uh, multi
0: From Dirobi.com, correct?
1: Dirobi.com, and th- these two products are specifically designed to fill in the deficiencies. And I tell people, look, if you can only afford two supplements in your life, make it a high quality functional multi and a and a mineral. Mm-hmm. I tell me you, you take these two things for 60 days and tell me that you don't notice a difference because it's going to wake up your system. It's going to fill in trace mineral and vitamin deficiencies that, that you, you probably have. Cause we, we formulated these based on the last five years of, of uh, research from biohackers. So the biohacking community has done all of us a huge favor. Because they have shown what 80% of people are deficient in. It's the same things. It's the, it's repeat offenders. It is zinc and chromium and the B vitamins and vitamin D it's, it's basic things. And so, uh, we, so, so take care of those things first. Right. And then from the, yeah, but anyways, go ahead, go ahead.
0: I was going to say, start from the ground and work up. Like you said, and yeah. what I really like about your products at the Roby is just overall, they're affordable you pull up the multivitamin and most people are going to look at that at first and say, so if I subscribe and, you know, get it monthly, it's going to be $50. Those same people probably spend $5 a day on their Starbucks order. Right. So yeah, by switching to a more functional approach to uh, obtaining those minerals that you're missing out on, you're actually saving money in the long run, especially, especially on health bills that might come up one and two you're going to feel so much better and just be overall more functional and happy. Um, In the past, I've uh, been vitamin D deficient, especially in the winters Uh. because I'm in Pennsylvania. We don't get a whole lot of sun in the winter. I started taking vitamin D and I'm like, wow, I'm alive. I'm energetic. I'll wake up (laughs) at four in the morning and most people can't handle me. So it's incredible how just starting from the ground and working up, can make such a huge impact on your life. Overall, you'll feel more productive, more energetic. I love everything that you guys do there. And I love the functional approach to your supplements and not just, you know, more chemicals from a lab or something like that.
1: Yeah. We take a lot of, of pride in the, the uh, ingredients. A lot of people don't realize that all these things come in different forms. And when you formulate a supplement, Uh, there's very cheap ingredients, and there's medium price ingredients, and there's expensive ingredients. And we just go right for the expensive ingredients. We have a PhD chemist and a PhD nutritionist that advise us on supplementation. And when we tell them, look, this is the idea for the supplement, we know that 80% of Americans are deficient in these 16 things. Now tell us what's the best way to put those 16 things into a bottle, uh, and, and what would be synergistic. And also, what should we not do? That's a question a lot of people don't ask. I'll give you an example. We don't put magnesium in our multi. The reason we don't put magnesium in our multi is it doesn't belong. Magnesium counteracts the zinc. Mm-hmm. The I mean, zinc is more important to most people than the magnesium. And the magnesium you should get from the five to nine servings of vegetables.
0: Right. See? Right. And I mean, how often do you see zinc and magnesium coupled together, not just in multivitamins, but even uh, in bodybuilding, there's a popular ZMA supplement that they tell you to take before you go to sleep to help you sleep better. And it's like it's zinc, magnesium and B vitamins. We know B vitamins yeah. are you know uh, essential for energy production. Zinc and magnesium don't go together. And yet we're going to take all of that right before we go to sleep. Makes perfect sense, right? And the bees
1: are energizing and should be taken in the morning, right? Not at night. A- and the only thing you should be taking at night is the magnesium. So if you're going to, if you're going to supplement magnesium, you know what the best way is spray it on your thighs as a topical, right? Yep. And that will not only give you more magnesium, but it'll help you relax and go to sleep. And so these are some of the things that go into, to formulating. You have to know, you know, how to put together a good blend that's synergistic, um, and, uh, ideally what you want is for people to take it for a while and, and feel good and feel like, oh, this is really working for me. Um, so that's, you know, how we've, how we've crafted them, uh, now from, from the foundation, and I know we probably need to move on to the next thing, but just very quickly. Yeah. When I, I say basic supplement strategy, start with the foundation and then from there, assess your needs. Like, for example, I have joint pain um, from prior, uh, injuries I've had. And I manage that with a turmeric. Um, yep. and so if you have joint pain, right. Um, or you have inflammation a natural turmeric is a great way to handle that. And so, uh, you just assess it's like, if you're, if you're female, right. You got to know where your iron levels are. Okay. Iron is much more important to, to women than it is, uh, to men. So that would be another one where you do some self-analysis and perhaps do blood work to know exactly where you're at. So if you have certain conditions, you might wanna supplement towards aiding with those conditions. And then from there, there's also performance, right? So for example, I love a pre-workout. I don't need a pre-workout. My body's not deficient in pre-workout powder. (laughs) Right. But uh, I metabolize caffeine well. I don't do too much caffeine. But in the morning, if I take a 200 milligram pre-workout drink with beta alanine and some other ingredients, and I just, it just really wakes me up. And I feel like I get a better workout for other people that might just give them the runs, right? Uh, You know, and so it totally depends on your body and how you respond to these various ingredients, but from the foundation, then figure out what specific challenges you might have that you might supplement towards or what performance enhancing ingredients quercetin there's a variety of cool performance enhancing natural ingredients that you can look at but only after you filled in the deficiencies because that's where you
0: get the most bang for your buck right makes perfect sense build from the ground up so yes what are your last two tips here for uh, optimal health uh number six is exercise every day
1: not three times a week not four times a week seven times a week Daily, daily. Now that could be very simple on some days. It might be a long walk. Right. That's fine. Everything counts. Everything counts. When we're young, you know, when I was young anyway, I felt like if I didn't hit the gym and come out of there a sweaty mess that was somewhat destroyed, right. I hadn't had a good workout. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't feel that way anymore. On a Sunday morning, I might walk the dog for an hour and a half. And that's a, that's exercise. It counts. Right. My heart rate was yep. elevated, about 90 beats per minute. It's beautiful. I got beautiful farmland and a lake nearby. And, and it's easy and it's and it's recovering, helping me recover from the other six exercises uh, that I did. So whether it's a long walk, which is on the very low side of things, mobility, yoga, flexibility, uh, very light uh training of some sort, uh, playing with the kids. I mean, whatever. You know, rowing, I have a rowing machine. I don't know if you can see that. Yep, know, I you, see it. Yep. I love the rowing machine because it's low impact, but I can get an incredible workout. I mean, it, 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 some 20 minute row workouts are absolutely brutal. You are really worked, but not damaged. Worked, right. but not hurt, right? Right. Uh, so it's a, it's a great machine too, especially as you get older, right? As you get older, we get more interested in low impact
0: kind of exercise for sure i like that you point out the importance of movement for recovery because most people think of a recovery day they think of you know put the feet up on the couch and relax and throw netflix on or something like that they don't think of hey i should actually go for a walk today going for a walk like you mentioned is going to increase your heart rate just a little bit not enough to really cause any sort of like breakdown or inflammation but it moves blood to your muscles. So it allows them to heal and recover as they should. And that actually leads to better long-term performance.
1: It's called active recovery. You hit on a really important point. And I think, I think you're right. I think a lot of people don't know this recovery days are active recovery. They're not passive recovery. They're certainly not sitting around sitting is the new smoking, right? You've heard that right? We spend way too much time sitting. And if we spend our recovery day sitting all day, uh, we're going backwards. As a matter of fact, um, I'm old enough now to where if I do that, which I do sometimes, I just have a day where I just sit way too much, right? Um, The next day I wake up sore and groggy and I don't feel good. And so this is why I'm teaching exercise seven days a week. Even if it's very light, it's what our body's designed to do. It's designed to move. It's not designed to sit for long periods of time, sitting down to rest is fine, uh, but we're we're designed to move. And there's so many different aspects to our health. All those that I mentioned earlier, mobility, flexibility, strength, accuracy, endurance, force, all those things go into it. And we can do many of those back to the kettlebell, just simple kettlebell swings. Uh, Even, you know, this is gonna sound uh, kind of silly, but sometimes on on an active recovery day, I'll be watching TV with a light kettlebell and just swinging it around my waist, right? Just circles. Yep. One hand to the other, one hand to the other for like 10 minutes, reversing directions, going both ways. And that light swing is getting a whole lot of muscles engaged. It's right. It's working your core and your wrists and your forearms and your shoulders and your core is swinging that kettlebell around and back to the accuracy, just the handoff of the kettlebell from hand to hand is working on your coordination and, and, uh, accuracy. And, and so it's a very simple thing to do. Just keep a kettlebell near the TV. And if you're watching a show, you just stand up and do a few, a few, a few different movements, uh, with the kettlebell. And, and again, everything counts but we just don't want days of being sedentary
0: it does as uh dr john harned said on our show recently motion is lotion and you should be lotioning yourself yeah, I regularly like it. <laughs> all right motion is lotion i got to steal that one yeah motion is lotion so what's your last tip for our listeners
1: last one is get 7 to 9 hours of sleep every night this is where it all comes together All that exercise and good nutrition and your intermittent fasting means that your your body's digested all the food. The melatonin is rising. You go to sleep. You have a good night's sleep. You're more likely to have a good night's sleep because you didn't have that snack right before you went to bed. You didn't disrupt the hormone pattern. Your blood sugar gets low. Your HGH gets high. Your testosterone gets high. Your estrogen gets high. You wake up. By the way, a lot of people are shocked when I said men and women both have testosterone and estrogen, right? It's just different balances, right? They're both important. To, to, to men and women. We, we need to have the right ratio of both. So you wake up in the morning, you're in a perfect hormonal state. And now it's a great time to exercise, to plan your day, to meditate, right? You win the day and you're going to feel really good for that first few hours till you have breakfast at around 10 o'clock. If you're doing like an eight hour eating window, you might have breakfast at 10 and dinner at six, right? Mm-hmm. So that seven to nine hours of sleep is where that all comes together, where your body can process the, the, the growth from your exercise, the repair of the joints from your exercise, along with, instead of digesting food, because we didn't have the late night snack, it gets to do autophagy. It gets to cleanse, to get rid of pathogens, carcinogens, toxins, right? Right. So this is one of the, lost arts of our modern society is getting a good night's sleep. As a matter of fact, we've kind of taught people to burn the candle at both ends, to be a real go-getter, to really, you know, go to bed late and get up early so that you can really be successful. Well, you can't really be successful if you don't have good health. No. And, And, and so this is what brings it all together is the last point of getting enough sleep.
0: I'm glad you brought that up because, again, like you said, the statistics when we talk about sleep in our country are incredibly alarming. One in four Americans have insomnia and one in five have sleep apnea. It's incredible how just something so simple as resting, letting your body recover after a long day is so difficult for so many people. I think there was a study um, done, I I can't remember the year right off. Uh, but they looked at people 18 to 29 years old, and almost 50% of them say they sleep six hours or less per night. And they wow. don't realize what problems they're setting themselves up for not too far down the line by just not getting enough sleep. You like, like you said, you have to own your day to own your life. So if you wake up, and you're tired, you're groggy, you need that cup of coffee just to get your day going, you're already waking up behind whoever you're competing against, whether that's in fitness, going back to where we started with basketball. You know, if your rival uh, player team, whatever they're waking up and they're hitting the gym and you're waking up an hour later and just grabbing your morning cup of coffee, their days already provided for them before yours has even started. So get up, get after it, own your day and own your life. Now, for more on those seven tips, I understand that you have a ebook that people can access on your website. That's Dirobi.com. Is that correct? Yeah,
1: D-I-R-O-B-I.com. And it's called the Dirobi Undiet. And there's a 10-page ebook on the seven things. It goes into more detail than I just did. It's free. I I encourage people to download it and read it. There's other actually uh, cool resources on our resources page as well. So look through those, grab anything that you want. Um, most of them are just, you can just click on them, they download. I think one or two of them require you to enter your email address. Us, uh, dastardly marketers want to contact you and let you know when we have sales and podcast episodes and all that kind of thing. My, I have a podcast, the Dairobi Health Show. Um, and so if you get on our list, you'll learn about uh, my own episodes and stuff like that. But, anyways, the Dairobi End Diet on slash resources along with a few other things there that I think are really uh, interesting uh, downloads for people. One of them that I recommend also is called The Virtuous Cycle. Yep. And that's something you can put on your fridge. You print it off, it's a one-pager. That just shows you how all of these principles work synergistically in a 24-hour period of
0: time. And it's so easy to follow, right? So first meal somewhere between 10 o'clock and noon, Then it talks about when you can eat during that fasting window, when that fasting window should start, when you should avoid blue light. So blue light inhibits melatonin production. You really break it down nicely in that little cycle there and make it easy to follow. So I'm really, I'm a big fan of that. I'll probably be sharing that in the, uh, I'll I'll link to your website in the show notes below so people can access all that. And you've also got the Clean 15 and Dirty Dozen on there. So if people- are you know say they're about my age maybe they're in college and you might be on a budget you know groceries aren't cheap you might be wondering what should I buy organic and what can I get away with just buying natural that list will actually show you you should buy these things organic you can buy these things just kind of conventional so to speak without any change detrimental effect to your health Uh, it looks like you've got all kinds of great supplements on there. You mentioned the podcast. You've had a ton of great guests on there. 180 episodes, 181 episodes in total, a lot of great content. So highly recommend you check out, uh, and the droby health show. If you haven't already, uh, Dave, is there anything else you want to share with our listeners?
1: No, that's about it. I mean, uh, you know, I I hope there's been some value here. I hope people can be fit and healthy. Like I said, I'm 55 years old. And sadly, I have friends that I went to high school with that have died already. And, uh, and that's, and it's very sad, but there is a lot of lifestyle disease in our country. And that's what we're trying to avoid. And I feel bad for those people. I mean, a a lot of us had, uh, a lot of people have had upbringings where they just really weren't introduced to health and fitness but whether you were or weren't at any time you can change direction right and potentially avoid that heart attack that might be coming your way or whatever the negative is that's in your future you know we just want everyone to have a, a great future be happy you know i feel better every day when i live these principles so it's not just it's not like you have to wait forever to feel good you start implementing these things you'll feel better very quickly so I hope that you know there's one or two things I've said here that might be inspiring to someone to make improvements or maybe overcome a bad habit or introduce a new good habit or whatever
0: to get to a, a higher level. And uh, one last thing I want to add about your supplements because I just found this out real quick is they're made in the USA. I love that. Not many people produce their supplements in the USA anymore. Always have been. Uh, when we first
1: started, uh, we decided not buy anything overseas. There's, there's only one exception. There's one enzyme we can only get in Austria, which I don't mind. It's a high end enzyme in our eat anything digestive product. Yep. Other than that, we don't buy anything from China uh, and everything is, is sourced and packaged and made in the U S and I'll tell you what, that sure served us well over the last two years. I've got a lot of competitors who can't get their stuff because it's stuck in boats, right? Or in, it's still in Shanghai. Um, and so, yeah, yeah. We pride ourselves on that and it served us uh, well. And, um, you know, I, I, don't know if you set up a, a code, you can set up a code for your listeners yep. so they can get a 10% off discount. So, um, you know, make sure and do
0: that too. So they can save a little money. Yep. We'll do that. And then we'll link to it in the description below. Dave, cool. thank, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. It's been a great interview. That's going to do it for this episode of the Brown body podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you check us out on social media if you haven't yet. You can find us at BraunBody. Also, make sure you subscribe to the podcast if you haven't yet, because this way you won't miss out on any of our new upcoming episodes. Last, be sure to share this episode with a friend who you think might benefit from hearing some of the information that we shared in this episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.